You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Dylan Terriman and Alex Barallo. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Jet Nation Radio. This is your host, Alex Barallo, joined with Dylan Terriman. Dylan, how are we doing tonight, bud? Doing well. Got tons of different notes to talk about, whether it's draft or current players on the roster. So should be a good episode for us here. That's great. Yep. Dylan, you were uh, in attendance last week to the senior bowl. Uh, we will be uh, recapping uh, the game and you, you're going to going, going to give us a little bit of a deep dive on what you saw while you were on the scene there uh, for the few days of practice. Uh I heard there was a pretty decent day, and then there was a torrential downpour. Uh, so, you know, only uh, diehards, you know, are willing to get up and go sit out in, you know, a downpour of rain just to watch some football. And, and we appreciate you for uh, for doing that from Jet Nation and for all our listeners as well. But... Um, you know, we've got a few topics that we're going to be speaking about tonight. Uh, we're going to start with just a couple uh, Jets uh, comments and uh, some things that have been brewing the last week or two. Uh, some some statements that were made from Robert Sala specifically, uh, which we're going to go into. And we're also going to talk about a player that we at Jet Nation, um, our hearts go out to, and that's Cam Clark. Um, unfortunately, that injury that Cam Clark had uh, suffered last summer uh, has come back to end his career short. Um, looks like the doctors have told him that uh, he could risk paralysis if he comes back to play football. Uh, he had a neck-related injury. I was there on the day of attendance for camp, and it was a really, really scary scene when he went down. And um, I'm glad that you know, he was able to come through it, and at the end of the day, you know, these players have to protect their body. He's a young man who's got the rest of his life ahead of him, and, it, and it's very unfortunate on what had happened to, to Cam Clark. You know, we had hopes for, for him to do great things with this team and perhaps, you know, be a part of uh, this offensive line that Joe Douglas is building. So very unfortunate news um, for Cam Clark. Uh, but, you know, while we're, we're talking about the offensive line here, uh, Robert Sala had mentioned something in a press conference <clears throat> while he was at the Senior Bowl, and that was regarding the left tackle position. Um, so I don't have the quote verbatim here, but uh, more or less what Robert Sala had said was that the left tackle position is, um, is George's uh, job to lose. And Makai Becton and him will be in competition for that left tackle spot. So, Dylan, um, what's your reaction to, to this news on, on Fant and Becton? You know, this was something that we were talking about at the end of last season because uh, George was playing so well, and, and now we've got some more info on what's going to happen for the 2022 season. I think it's it's really funny how the wave of emotions has completely shifted on George Fant as, like, an overall 
you know, glimpse of it from at least my perspective, because last off season, I was looking at George Fant as like the perfect candidate to cut to save cap money. And now I'm looking at it and I, unfortunately I wasn't able to get to the media breakfast. I overslept due to traveling last minute to the senior bowl, but I, the quote was pretty, you know, on, on par for what I think the Jets should do. I think Makai Becton hasn't earned a left tackle spot. I think George Fant over the course of last season and a little bit of the season before that has definitely proved that he is worthy of a starting spot on this offensive line. I thought it would be right tackle, but he looks a lot better on the left side. So definitely something that he has earned over Makai Becton. And we obviously have all these questions about Makai Becton's health and his weight. And I'm not going to you know, try to speak on that intelligently. I don't know what his weight is or his mindset is about this, but it's something he needs to attack aggressively according to the coaching staff and <clears throat> needs to really kill the off season to take the job back. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because it's going to, you know, put a little fire under his butt and, you know, motivate him a little bit, which it should. And at worst, he's a right tackle, which is something he played in college at Louisville. So it's, it's not, you know, the worst case scenario, obviously you don't want to draft somebody as high as 11, like they did and say, Oh, he's going to be a right tackle. But at the same time, you can't really take that away from George Fant. So I'm, I definitely agree with what he said. I hope it's not coach speak, and I hope that once we get into the off season, one, I hope George Fant has a new contract, and then two, I hope that he is playing left tackle and he's he's durable at it too. I hope he's excelling at it because I think the Jets really need bookend tackles. So this wouldn't be the worst case scenario in my opinion. Yeah, th- this was pretty intriguing. Uh, I think you were not alone with the thought process of, you know, saving some money uh, at the salary cap and getting more aggressive mm-hmm. on, you know, big ticket free agents. And, you know, Fant offered substantial savings around $10 million um, off the cap. So, you know, you can get – make a big offer for one player. You can use that to acquire several players. Uh so, you know, you were not alone on that, and I would have been fine last year had they did that, you know, under the impression that Makai Becton was going to be playing in a full season. So knowing what we know now, uh, I guess this is the most logical thing to do. Uh, you know, there were some rumors that were circulating, I believe, from, you know, ESPN guys and, and some other people that were saying that the Jets aren't particularly pleased with Makai Becton. Um you know, probably looking at this now, they feel vindicated. Uh, you know, it's still unknown what their true thoughts are, but, you know, at this point in time, the approach of, uh, you know, even first-round picks aren't solidified into this roster uh, is definitely a statement uh, that everybody needs to be aware of when they're in the, uh, you know, when they're trying to get, you know, the roster panned out and, um, some some players, you know, they put it in neutral because they figure, oh, I'm a top, you know, round pick and, you know, the job's mine mm-hmm. and I'm just going to, you know, kind of go through the motions because I have guaranteed money and things like that. So, you know, this should be a good motivation um, pusher for, uh, you know, for Becton and company and, and for the rest of the guys out there that, you know, just feel that, they have to do a little bit more to earn a spot. So I, I can, 
disagree with what they've what they've said or what Robert Robert Sala has said, and I'm sure you know Vecton might have been a little alarmed by that. But at the end of the day, if he's a true competitor, he'll look at this as a positive way to go back and remind everybody what he's capable of doing and trying to win that job. Uh, Dylan, I'm seeing your message right now. This does seem like I was just going to say, um, could could you yeah, imagine a scenario about the position? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was going to so say, go could you imagine and, a... um, break it down? Sure. Yeah, I was going to say, could you imagine a scenario where Makai Becton is the third best tackle going into training camp next season, whether it be a free agent acquisition that comes in and plays right tackle, or you know, a top pick that comes in at, at a, as a rookie and plays right tackle? And I think that will transition perfectly into this, and that's the discussion at number four overall because. I think a lot of talk coming out of Mobile is that Kayvon Thibodeau has a lot of question marks about whether he truly loves football or if his effort is all there or not. And obviously I can't speak intelligently about that, but there are people who are qualified to speak intelligently about that, that have been expressing these concerns. And it was talked about quite a bit down in Mobile. I overheard a lot of conversations about it. So to me, I look at the fourth overall pick and if you're, presented with a scenario where Kayvon Thibodeau is on the board at four and you have NC State's Ika McQuanu also on the board, what would you do in this scenario? I want to I hear your answer first before I give my take, because I think this is just something that a couple months ago, Jets fans would be running the, the card up to the table to take Kayvon Thibodeau. And maybe that still is the case, but I think with all these things coming out, it's kind of even the playing field a little bit. So I really want to hear your take on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, as far as the, the number four position is, is set right now, um, I do believe that this game is, is won and lost in the trenches. So it, whether or not you feel that you need to focus in on offense or defense, uh, I know that there's been a long, long, uh, void since John Abraham with the pass rushing concern of, you know, the fans and the media and everything like that. To be honest with you, um, <clears throat> not a positive thing hearing uh, what's coming from Thibodeau's corner. And, you know, if there is any sort of sense of doubt with, you know, his work ethic or taking off plays or um, going through the motions, things like that, um, that in my mind, is not a player that's deserving of the number four pick. Now, these this is just, you know, like you said, um, talk within, you know, small circles, and, you know, it's kind of permeating and going around the social media wire. So uh, who knows what if there's any validity to this. And, and I know I saw, you know, Kayvon um, tweet something or quote tweet, uh, something about that statement that was made and, um, you know, perhaps that will inspire him to, to prove everyone wrong. Uh, so there's that as well. But, uh, you know, at the moment right now, when I look at this team right here, uh, I think that they really need to come up with a game plan as far as how they want to attack March. And then that'll give them the opportunity to exploit the draft. Uh, so at the moment right now, we're looking at this offensive line and, uh, it does look like they have the opportunity to get a a really, really good offensive lineman. Um, and I like that, that concept. And I like that idea. Uh, 
but I'm also comfortable going forward with Becton and Fant um, as our left and right tackle um, at the moment. And, you know, however that plays out, um, whatever's best for the team is where I see it. So my heart's not set in stone on either of these two players at the moment. You know, it's still early. Um, you know, we're in our second week of February here. Uh, so right now I'm, I'm kind of undecided on how I feel about this number four pick um, with the pass rusher or with another offensive lineman. Um, if you bring in the offensive lineman and and you make George Fant the, um, the captain as he's been the last couple of years, then that really, really does tell you how much they've, you know, separated themselves or they're attempting to separate themselves from Becton that would be quite alarming and that would, you know, obviously strike up a lot of drama for this team and, and everybody will, you know, be wondering what the heck the Jets are doing in this scenario and how could they draft a player and then, you know, be looking to get rid of him after two years. So that would be very, very, uh, I don't know, toxic maybe, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, so I guess my, you know, my answer is not great, Dylan, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm kind of on the fence here. Uh, I don't think that they should uh, invest at the same position, um, you know, being left tackle, being that you just did it two years ago. Uh, you've committed to that guy. Becton has guaranteed money. It just seems like they're committed to Becton at this point. And, it would be easier for them to part ways with fan, but that would also seem very, very uh, stupid, to be honest with you. And uh, especially with the way that he played last year, and he was one of the most solid offensive linemen uh, to come out of the 2021 season. So that would really, really be a head-scratcher for me if that was the route that they went to. Now, there's other offensive linemen on the interior side that I'm fine with going forward, um, and, and people mm-hmm. may be alarmed at that. You know, I've talked about Kenyon Green. And I talked about Linderbaum, um, you know, in our private chat with you, mm-hmm. with you and Glenn, and you know, I'd be fine with that, and people probably wouldn't justify that at four. So that's kind of where I'm at today. Like I said, it's still early, and once the testing and everything like that pans out, you know, I'll probably have a better answer for you. But I am interested on on your take on on this scenario here. So go ahead and uh, let the listeners know. Yeah. So. At first, obviously, I was like, oh, this is a win-win. When I was immediately processing it, I was like, Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, all they talk about is winning in the trenches. So whether it's offensive or defensive trenches, like you mentioned, it's a great start. And then I really started peeling back the onion a little bit. And I think Equanu overall would be a safer pick. And I'll explain why it's safer, because even though Kayvon Thibodeau has a ton of upside, like I think he's a huge high ceiling player just because I don't think we saw exactly like the full range of everything he could do at Oregon. Obviously we saw the flashes of him, but if he could put it all together, I think he's one of the highest, highest ceiling players in this draft. But Aquanu is a safer pick for Joe Douglas on a, on a job security level. And what I mean by that is if Joe Douglas were to take Kayvon Thibodeau, and the rumors are true. Say they did their investigation and they said, you know, we, everything checks out with this guy. We're going to take him. And he ends up being what these rumors say. And quite frankly, I don't believe the rumors. I think this guy's going to be a stud regardless. And yes, this is just more motivation for him. But if the rumors are true and he does bust, this guy's costing him a job. Joe Douglas 
probably won't survive this as far as his job's concerned because likely, you know, Iquanu or another offensive lineman is going to be good and, you know, Zach Wilson might not have the protection he he needs in year two. And if things bust in that terms, again, Zach Wilson doesn't take that leap and we sat here and took Kayvon Thibodeau at four and he was a bust, everybody's going to be like, oh, Joe Douglas, he's on the hot seat. So from that perspective, I think Aquanu is a safer pick. Plus, I think, obviously, he has the positional versatility. He can play a little bit of guard. He can play tackle. So regardless if Becton, you know, has that superstar offseason or not, Aquanu should be able to find the field in year one, whether it's right guard or right tackle. I think everybody hopes it's right guard. But then you say, wow, we took a guard at number four. And in the grand scheme of things, that looks bad from, you know, team building and whatnot. But when you think about it, that's really going to help Zach Wilson and the long-term trajectory of this offense. Sure, you can find offensive linemen later on in the draft, but you can also find a lot of skill players later on in the draft. So to attack the offensive line early, I think would be great. So all that to say, Aiko McQuanu would be my preferred choice right now but I also don't believe the rumors about Thibodeau. I just truly believe that this is an offensive league. We need to help Zach Wilson full bore. Like three out of the first four top picks need to go to offense, in my opinion. So Michael McQuanu right now would be the pick, but that's not to say Kayvon Thibodeau is not going to be great wherever he lands, and that would probably be the pick after at the Giants, to be honest. Yeah, that you know that would be really interesting, and you bring up a good point about how this would reflect Joe, Jugg- <clears throat> Joe Douglas's job because if you look at his 2020 draft, and let's just say, you know, they they take the offensive line and they keep George Fan and they they phase out Beckton. Not only are you parting ways with his first round pick from the 2020 draft, but then you look at Denzel Mims, who mm-hmm. was you know missing in action you know, either a healthy scratch or just wasn't being deployed in the offense last year. You have Ashton Davis, who showed some promise on some plays, but also showed that he's definitely very, very raw and inexperienced to be the last man of defense for this defense. And then as far as Zuniga, P. Ryan, Morgan, and Clark, uh, P. Ryan's still on the roster, but we we know that he was also one of those players that was phased out last season and wasn't incorporated mm-hmm. at all. And then that just leaves you your last two picks of that draft, Bryce Hall and Braden Mann, who are starters. So that potentially went from being a really, really solid draft, and then two years later, uh, you know, you, you look at all those picks and you say, wow, you know, 80% of them didn't work out you know, with that scenario of us going for another left tackle in this upcoming draft. So it's funny how, I don't know if it's funny, but kind of crazy how you look at a scenario two years ago and you say, wow, this is like, you know, this is the foundation that, that's going to get this team this team rolling. And then two years later saying, man, they whiffed on a lot of those picks and that's what set them back. So very interesting to see how things can change so rapidly within a couple of years. <clears throat> All right, so uh, that was a good segment there. You know, got a little draft talk in and, um, you know, speaking about the offensive line, and this is probably going to be something that we'll be talking about a lot moving forward. So let's pivot and let's go into this senior bowl game here. 
Um, Dylan, I just have a couple questions for you uh, before we get in um, to your notes and things like that. Um, so the first thing that I wanted to ask you was um, our tight end coach, Mid- uh, Coach Middleton, was the head coach instead of uh, Robert Sala for this game. Now, why was that? Yeah, so they decided that they were going to use the team's head coaches, so Robert Sala and Dan Campbell, as more of just advisory roles and, like, overseeing the whole operation instead of really hands-on with the prospects. I'm not sure why they did it from that aspect, but from the assistant coaches aspect for Ron Middleton, Rob Calabrese, who was the offensive coordinator, and then Mike Rutenberg, who was the defensive coordinator, the NFL said that the goal was to allow positional coaches to be able to, you know, showcase their abilities in a, in a public setting in hopes that they could turn it into a coaching future in the NFL. So it's just more eyes on different ideas and it's a good platform for, you know, it's not a, a game that counts per se, but in the grand scheme of things, it could count if, you know, down the line, Ron Middleton or even Deuce Daly, who was the, uh, he's the assistant head coach, but he was the head coach for the senior bowl. If in a couple of years, these, one of these two guys gets a head coaching job, you can look back at the senior bowl and be like, wow, they really coached these kids up and they got their hands on them and they were able to, you know, impart wisdom and really, you know, t- turn this into an opportunity to, you know, advance their career. And speaking about Deuce Staley, the assistant head coach for the lions, I thought he should have been a front runner for the Eagles head coaching job last year when they ended up hiring Nick Sirianni. So Deuce Staley is definitely somebody that should have the the public's attention as far as getting a head coaching job. So I think that was the ultimate goal. And I think they did a really good job of it because everybody seemed to love Ron Middleton down in Mobile. You saw the, I don't know if you saw the video of uh, Salah throwing out candy and, and Middleton had some beads mm-hmm. like Mardi Gras style. And he was like, beads, it was great. So you, you really saw his energy and, and his enthusiasm and his willing to like, you know, coach up these players because at the end of the day, they don't necessarily have to give it their all. They can mail it in. That's not something that they need to do, but they took it so seriously. And the vibes coming out of it from the coaching staff standpoint, were all positive. So it's great to hear that when, when we've been dealing with Gase for the last two years. So, <laughs> Yeah, that that was uh, something that I had noticed too. Um, <clears throat> hearing a lot of the interviews from the players that were on the national side, that was the uh, the team that the Jets were coaching. A lot, a lot of players were <clears throat> motivated by the energy, the coaching style, and uh, it seemed like a lot of those kids had a lot of fun. Um, and and that's that's great to see because I know that a lot of this time for these athletes, it's very, very stressful. And, uh, you know, to go out there and, and kind of say, okay, you know, I'm just going out there to play a game that I love. Um, and, and, I, and I get to hit people while I'm doing it, you know. And if you saw his, uh, his speech about uh, if you don't know what to do, hit somebody. And if someone's standing in your way, hit somebody. And, if, you know, if you don't mm-hmm. know what to do, just hit somebody again. And um, kind of love that, and uh, he's a little oh, bit yeah. old school, and, and I, I feel mm-hmm. like that that's definitely needed at times. So very cool to see Coach Middleton yet again in in the limelight as the head coach. Um, I guess that makes his record two and zero so far for for his head coaching uh, career, uh, even though you can't count this one as a professional <laughs> one. But Dylan, you were there um, last week to see some of the practices, so. 
I, I want to ask you, this is a two-part question, um, so, so go right into it. Um, from the offensive side and from the defensive side, while you were watching these uh, drills and practices going down, um, what, what particular player from each side of the ball stood out to you? Uh, you know, anybody that uh, you didn't know going into the week and, you know, they surprised you too, let us know what you saw. Yeah, first off, I do want to say another big, huge thank you to Jim Nagy and staff for just allowing this opportunity to even happen in the first place. I think it was it was great to interact with everybody down there, meet, met a whole bunch of new people. And then I, I, wanted, I do want to thank Jet Nation because, obviously, for, for this opportunity to happen, it took, you know, Phil and I collaborating and applying for the credentials together. So it was just huge to have the support of everybody from the site, you know, behind me and really gave me the confidence to go and network myself because I was nervous and I have never been in a setting like this. Like, so it was, it was a huge, you know, comfort zone move that I had to make. So, you know, I really appreciate you guys supporting me the whole way. And then obviously quick shout out, everybody that followed me on Twitter, you guys are awesome. They, I think I gained almost a hundred followers over the week. So I really appreciate you guys tuning in and liking my stuff. I even got a like from a, a player at the senior bowl that I'll get into, but oh, as far wonderful. as the practices go, yeah. Yeah. As far as the practices go, I was able to go to the first practice, beautiful weather. It was, you know, about 60 degrees overcast. I had my sunglasses on, but I didn't really need them. So it was a beautiful day. And a lot of hectic stuff happened. So I couldn't stay for the Lions practice, but I stayed for the Jets practice in full. And then the second day was the rainstorm. And oh my goodness, it was a rainstorm. Every 30 seconds, a big, huge gust of wind came and we were just running for cover. So I stayed for both Jets practices that I could get to, but I didn't see any of the Lions practices other than the film that was sent to me from the Senior Bowl. So I've still been reviewing the Lions team. So all my notes are going to be just specifically national team players for the Jets. But as far as one player on offense that stood out to me, it would have to be Christian Watson. He's a wide receiver from North Dakota State. He was far and away the best wide receiver. And he's a bigger uh, guy. I think he was listed at 6'1". 211 so he's you know when you hear that immediately you're like oh he's just like a bigger deep threat kind of guy and yes he has that but the first two days in practice especially in the rain he was running pro style routes crisp he was getting in and out of his breaks pretty well for his size obviously he can't get you know that full chop his feet and turn in a phone booth type you know route but for his size he was doing great natural hands, natural movement. He had a nice catch along the sideline that really impressed me. I recorded the play before that, so I was reloading my video on my phone to take the next, and he did the sideline catch, and everybody just went, woo And, of course, it was Christian Watson. So he's a big guy that's, that's popped up on my radar. And as an honorable mention on offense, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to say Bo Melton because – on day three, I went back and watched the film of day three when they were inside. He was cutting people up. The back of his T-shirt under his jersey was probably very ripped at the end of practice because of all the holdings that happened against him. He cut up Petrie. He was cutting up, I think, Damari Mathis in the slot. Just all these one-on-ones, he was cutting people up. So Bo Melton out of Rutgers was definitely a surprise for me. And then flipping it over to the defensive side of the ball, the first person that stood out to me day one, minute one of 
even just warming up was Travis Jones. He's a defensive tackle from UConn. And you're going to have to excuse my dog. She must like Travis Jones as well. But he was 6'4 and 3'8", 326 pounds. So I think he was the heaviest player of all the uh, defensive uh, players at the on the Jets team, at least, maybe in the whole senior bowl, now that I'm looking at it. Yeah, 326 pounds, 10 and a, uh, 10 and a quarter inch hands, 82 and three quarter inch wingspan. So this dude is just massive. And from a scouting perspective, he has legs and ass. Like this is this guy is just <clears throat> built from the, the waist down like a tree. And he was moving everybody, even Zion Johnson, the Boston College interior lineman who I thought coming in and going out was probably the best offensive lineman consistently over the week. He was getting pushed back into the laps of quarterbacks in those one-on-one drills. So Travis Jones absolutely stole my eyes right away, and I couldn't couldn't help but watch him the rest of the practices. And then just another honorable mention, because I like cheating, uh, Jesse Lakuda from Penn State. He was another guy I thought would play interior linebacker, and he was specifically working on the edge. And he flat-backed Daniel Falele, who was the 6'8", 387-pound offensive lineman from Minnesota. So he's given up, you know, over 100-something pounds to Lakuta, and he just put him right on his back. So really thought that he did good. I came in expecting Arnold Ebichetti from Penn State to do well, but Lakuta stole the show for me. So those four guys were definitely the four guys that I had my eyes on the most and came away really impressed and, you know, hoping that maybe the Jets can, you know, select one of these guys in the draft. Nice. Yeah, and – um you know, we can briefly just kind of go over some things at the game here. You know, it was a little ugly, uh, 21 penalties in total for this game. Uh, so mm-hmm. there was a lot of mistakes made. <laughs> uh, but there were some good plays, you know, that had occurred. Um, you know, Watson had, uh, I think, one of the longest plays of the day, at, you know, one reception, 38 yards. I think Calvin Austin had the, the longest reception at 39. So there was some big plays. Some of the quarterbacks, you know, aired it out a little bit. Um, you know, Pickett was probably the cleanest of the day with uh, a touchdown and 100% from the field and mm-hmm. one score. I know Ritter had uh, had the most points scored in the day, but, uh, you know, Pickett, you know, was was pretty clean. And uh, the tight ends, you know, the tight ends were featured and talked about um, a lot before this game, um, you know, went down. And, and uh, Trey McBride, who's, you know, number one consensus overall tight end out of this class. Uh, he, found, he found himself with a score. And then that play that Jake Ferguson had, the little screen play, um, that he scampered for about 20 yards for the score. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he, I think he's the Wisconsin kid. And I remember seeing him when I was watching um, John Taylor and saying, wow, you know, that, that tight end is, is a heck of a player there. And I said he probably is not getting a lot of opportunities with that running back. Taylor in the backfield, you know, taking all the plays and, and scoring at will. And uh, mm-hmm. to see him now kind of getting, um, you know, seeing his growth and progress. And um, I, I I would love to see, you know, Ruckert um, was somebody I mentioned in our last show, but Ferguson as well is another guy that I really hope that the Jets have on their radar. You know, clearly it's, uh, you know, the fanboy in me that says, you know, they're going to prioritize Trey McBride early in the draft and maybe he slides to the second round. Um, I don't think that that's likely, you know, 
more and more we, we tend to see teams on the back end of the first round taking, you know, chances on players like tight ends and wide receivers and running backs and things like that. So uh, I, I think McBride finds himself, you know, with a first-round selection. But in the event that he's there at the early um, second-round pick, wow, that would be really sweet. So I, I'm definitely excited to see what the um, the tight ends um, in this class are, are going to do when, once they get to the field. And um, I had to write a, a side note for this, even though the Jets are fine right now with where we're at. But, man, those punters, they have some legs, huh? There was a couple uh, 60-yard bombs that were uh, booted in that game. And, and I know Pat McAfee was probably hooting and hollering when he saw the boy, you know, for the brand, <laughs> as he would say, Jordan Stout and Jake uh, Camarada, you know, just destroying the football into moon rock. So, uh, you know, that's just my brief recap of the game. Dylan, I'm going to throw it back to you if you want to um, give some thoughts about the game. And, and now I know you have a, a bunch of notes you want to get to, too. So uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, sure. So uh, starting with the quarterbacks, yeah, Kenny Pickett, he came out clean. I think it was six for six for a touchdown on the opening drive. I don't know if he played the second drive or not, but uh, he definitely – solidified himself as a top quarterback and then Malik Willis on the other side too I think it's smart to highlight him because he had himself a week and he also had some really big plays in the game with his legs I know a lot of people were pointing out that he was missing open receivers on the plays where he was scrambling but I think in time those things will come and I think those two quarterbacks specifically are important and uh, because there's going to be some type of trade that's going to happen for quarterback in my belief whether you know I I wouldn't say top five but I think somebody in that five to ten range is going to trade out for a team to come up and pick a quarterback whether it's Pickett or Willis so I think the fact that both of them had a good day is a positive thing for the Jets and I wrote about that in my my senior bowl wrap-up article for the site that the more quarterbacks that do well the better for the Jets and a lot of people were saying Matt Corral is boosting his stock by not being in Mobile because the quarterbacks did not perform very good. But in the game, I think Pickett and Willis set themselves as the top two in Mobile and potentially the top two in the draft overall. So the more good quarterback play we hear about and the pro days and the combine will solidify all that, the better for the Jets because I'm a true believer that they should move out of 10, get a ton of picks, from, you know, a a Pittsburgh or a New Orleans and try to turn their nine total draft picks into 11 or maybe 12 this year. So quarterbacks, while the practices weren't great, the games were a little bit better for at least the two of them. Running backs, it's always so hard to evaluate running backs in these types of all-star games because at practice they're really just, you know, jumping over bags and going opposite of the – way the the coach is swinging the pads so it's really nothing you can really see there but I thought Rashad White caught my eye he obviously caught the eye of uh, special teams assistant Leon Washington who I forgot to mention earlier was the special teams coordinator he was elevated to the you know top of the special teams coaching uh, you know order for that week and he caught the eye of Rashad White he said you're a big player and we're gonna we're gonna get you the ball as much as possible, meaning on special teams as well. So he's somebody I didn't know much about going in, and he definitely caught my eye. A couple other wide receivers that I didn't talk about earlier were Romeo Dubs and Khalil Shakir. 
we talked about Shakir before I left, and I had a lot of high hopes for him. Uh, he didn't really pop for me. Like, I don't think he did anything special to really say, wow, like, but he was the person I saw on film. Like, he had really good hands. He was a, a good route runner. He had decent speed. They were doing a drill where they were running in, like, a square and trying to catch it in the rain, and everybody was having trouble. But it seemed like he was doing the best out of the bunch, obviously, other than Christian Watson. But So he didn't really pop for me. But, yeah, just kind of stayed consistent. I'm really glad you mentioned the tight ends earlier because – the whole week was a perfect showcase of all of them because I think Trey McBride and Jeremy Rucker, they won the practices. Trey McBride was the best pass catcher uh, at all three, like running back, wide receiver, tight end. He was definitely the best of all of the whole entire group. And that's probably on both sides too. I didn't hear too much good coming out of the skill positions other than, you know, uh, Greg Dulcich from UCLA, the tight end who was on the Lions team. So I think Trey McBride was the best out of all the skill players at the entire Senior Bowl. Jeremy Rucker, he solidified himself as a day two, probably a top 50 pick. I'm not necessarily in the camp of let's take McBride at 35 and Rucker at 38 if they're there. I think that would be a little too too rich for my blood. I think you could allocate those draft picks a little better. So while they were the winners in practice, Cole Turner and Jake Ferguson were definitely the winners of the game. Cole Turner hooked up with his, you know, Nevada teammate Carson Strong for some pretty big plays. And he's so fast when he has the ball in his hands. He's a former wide receiver turned tight end, but he had some, some wheels when he would catch the ball. And I didn't expect it out of him. His film, you know, he looks okay when he moves. I didn't, you know, he has speed, but like, in person, I genuinely thought he was a lot faster than every other tight end in the group. And then you mentioned it, Jake Ferguson, nice little 25-yard touchdown, but he also had a couple big catches. One was called back on a hold, and it was a little corner route on the sideline. And I looked at my buddy, who's a Packers slash Wisconsin fan, and I was like, that's, that's Jake Ferguson. We've been watching him. So it was nice to see him, you know, have his moments. Um, the offensive line. I wasn't too impressed with. Uh, I thought Zion Johnson was the best one. He was the guard from Boston College, and he did a lot of work at center. I'm sure people have seen it on social media, but if not, he was staying after on both Monday and to, or Tuesday and Wednesday, Wednesday's practice, excuse me, and practicing snaps out of shotgun right up under center. So you just love to see the enthusiasm and the drive to get better from him because like I said he was probably the best offensive lineman coming in and leaving Mobile in my opinion I didn't you know really like what I saw from the small school guys Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa he you'll see him all over his highlights he was nasty he definitely you know made an impression on coaches in that aspect of like hey I'm this physical big left tackle who's not going to take any BS from defenders. But at the same time, he was really getting beat on his outside shoulder. Guys were coming off the edge really fast, like speed rushing him. And you could tell it was getting to him because the next rep, he'd get a little aggravated and, you know, a little extracurricular and pushing and shoving here and there. So overall, I thought his performance, while it was, you know, memorable for coaches and, and scouts, I don't necessarily know if he, did enough to boost his stock as what people are calling a mid first rounder. I think maybe he's the late first round guy. 
And then another small school guy was Bernard Raymond. He was a guy that I really thought was going to elevate his draft stock and potentially be in that, you know, 12, 15, 17 range in the draft. And kind of the same thing. He was getting burnt by the, by the speed rushes off the edge. He just, he was lunging a little too bit. He wasn't getting fully in his stance all the way back in his pass sets to where he needed to be. Like he just wasn't hitting his landmarks consistently, but he did have some impressive reps. So two guys, they didn't really boost their stock for me, but I also didn't have, you know, the highest of hopes for these guys, I should say. But when you go up against this defensive line that I'm about to talk about, it's understandable why you didn't have the best week of practice because this defensive line group was scary. Honestly, I would have been happy with pluck any four of these guys, put them on the Jets last year. This defense isn't 32nd ranked, Alex. I promise you that. These defensive linemen were hungry. They were ready to go. I mentioned Travis Jones earlier. Big, thick mf for moving everybody around all practices. He, I don't even know if he played much in the game, but – Practice was enough for him for him to just be like, hey, I don't even need to go out and play in the game. Logan Hall, he's another edge guy, interior guy as well. He's kind of a tweener from Houston. I didn't expect him to be so massive, but he was absolutely gigantic, just like Travis Jones. I believe he came in at six foot five. Yeah, almost six foot six, two hundred and eighty pounds. So just another, you know, just monster. I have him listed as an edge, but he did a lot of work at like three tech and, you know, interior lineman type work. And he was splitting guards in the run game, seven on seven competitive periods, just everywhere I turned, he was making a play in practice. So it was hard not to keep my eyes off those two. And then on the edge, I mentioned Lakuda, uh, Arnold Ebiketti. He had some bend, some juice. I thought he played with a lot of fire he didn't take a single snap off. I thought he was, you know, aggressive every rep. Probably maybe a second-round guy, mid-second, I'd say, just out of the top 50, but definitely somebody that the Jets should look at uh, at seriously if they want to upgrade this edge position. And then the last two guys who absolutely dominated on day three and in the games, Boy Mafe from Minnesota, he was number 34. He, every third down, I felt like I was tweeting out, there's Boy Mafe, quote tweeting it, there's Boy Mafe on third down, just pressure after pressure, strip sack, regular sacks, just forcing fourth and longs. And that's why these punters had such a good day because Boy Mafe was getting the offense off the field. And the last interior guy I want to highlight and the senior bowl MVP, he had two sacks, three tackles for loss. This is one of the last guys that I studied before leaving on my trip. And I thought his film was okay. And then I got there and I saw him do this and I was like, Oh wow, where did this come from? And that's Perion Winfrey from Oklahoma. He was another interior player that I just, you couldn't keep your eyes off of him. It was unfortunate because we only had two days of practice and you want to be able to watch every skill group, you know, DBs, wide receivers, running backs, linebackers, O-line, D-line. But every time you looked over at O-line, D-line, Perrion Winfrey was doing something that made you just stay over there. So he's a guy that I think maybe even a first-round pick. I don't know if teams will, you know, take a lot of stock into just a single senior bowl performance, but 
everything you hear from him and his like interviews and little quotes in that from him is that he loves this game of football. All he wants to do is get better. Every opportunity he has, he wants to showcase his talent. He even said, if I could run it back, I would the whole senior bowl week. So this guy's a competitor. And I think somebody's going to get some, something really special out of Perry on Winfrey. And quite honestly, I, I wouldn't be mad if the Jets took one of their top 40 picks and used it on almost any of the guys that I just mentioned. Maybe Lakuta is a little bit, you know, not in that range. I think he's probably a late day two guy, round three. But every single other player I mentioned, if they took him in the top 40, I would not be mad. And that's coming from somebody that absolutely hates taking defensive linemen early like the Jets have done in our recent history. So definitely the best the best skill or you know position group as a whole, the whole week and the game. And then we got linebackers and this is um you know another position kind of like running back, very hard to judge exactly what they're doing. Linebackers they just kind of run through garbage cans, they backpedal, quick close downhill, catch a couple passes pick up a couple fumbles, punch out a couple, you know, they do little drills like that, nothing that you can really see what they do. So the game was more of the evaluation period for me. And Chad Muma from Wyoming, he's probably a top 50 guy now. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, some of the the big guys already had him in his top 50. But to me, this guy isn't going to get out of round two. He had eight tackles in the senior bowl, which was a game high. And I thought – he just looks the part. He was staying with running backs in coverage. He was dropping back in zone coverage enough to really, you know, muddy, you know, the, the vision for the quarterbacks and make it hard for passes to be thrown over the middle of the field during the game. So somebody that's like super pro ready, in my opinion, and out of Wyoming, you, you don't really think that's a, a school to be, you know, all high about pro ready prospects, but you look at Logan Wilson for the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think he was a third round pick. So Muma has a chance to go higher than him. And Logan Wilson's playing really well. His team's about to go play in the Super Bowl this weekend. So, you know, not, not the worst thing for a guy from Wyoming to be pro ready and really, you know, make a name for himself here. And then another linebacker that caught my attention was Montana State's Troy Anderson. i I couldn't find any tape on Montana state before I left. So he was somebody that I just had to say, you know, I don't want to read other people's notes to like, you know, get to my opinion about a player. So I'm kind of going in raw and I got to see everything I saw there. And that's all I know about him, but everything I saw was great. He was fast. He was instinctive. He had one of the meanest punch outs I've ever seen in the drills. He almost took the, the assistant coach's arm off. So I immediately, my eyes were drawn to him. I'm not going to speculate on where he should go, but, you know, maybe a day three guy somewhere in that range where he's a developmental linebacker, but, you know, anybody could make the most out of him just based off his raw, you know, ability. And then on the back end, cornerbacks, the main guys that I, wa- I was watching, um, Kobe Bryant from Cincinnati, he kind of got overshadowed a little bit because, Sauce Gardner is the number one corner in Cincinnati, and he's going to be, you know, a top first-round pick, possibly even the first corner off the board, people are saying. So it's kind of easy to see why he was overlooked. Obviously, he has a Hall of Fame name already, Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. So he was doing a ton of things, versatility, special teams. 
He was in the slot. He was outside. He was really sticking with guys in, in, in the, the drills, the one-on-one drills. The game, not so great for any of these guys, but I think the practice is where you get the most out of it because the games are obviously – it's an offensive game, so any little holding or pass interference is going to be looked at negatively. But in practice, these guys were really holding up. And then two small school cornerbacks, Gregory Jr. I'm going to butcher the name of this school, but it's Wichita Baptist University. He he was a you know obviously this is a small school guy. I think it's Division two or Division three even, but this guy didn't back down. There was a a rep that I had of him doing a special teams gunner drill, where he took Leon Washington and he ripped him and almost threw him to the ground. And apparently um, it was quote tweeted by somebody from the school who does the sports, you know, networking. And they spoke to Greg Jr. after that practice and specifically asked about that play. And he said, yeah, the coaches came up to me and like, we're like, wow, you, you have some strength on you kid. And so, so this is a guy is super strong, super versatile, definitely going to be a developmental guy because, you know, due to him being a smaller guy, small school. So, he really put his name on a lot of people's maps. And another person that did the same was Joshua Williams from Fayetteville State. Same thing, just didn't back down, didn't blink in front of higher-level competition. And obviously this is probably the best competition they've faced in their whole career from a collegiate aspect. So to see these guys go in there, they had the confidence, didn't always look the cleanest, but for guys that, you know, they just like to take late-round swings on cornerbacks, so – two guys that put their put themselves on my radar at least and potentially many others I think they they will be good developmental players coming into this league um and then last position safety the only two I really had takeaways from were the two from Baylor and that's Jalen Petrie he's a guy I watched going into Mobile and probably one of the best you know safeties in Mobile and he is a do-it-all guy, ultra-competitive, physical. He was playing a lot of, like, you know, big big nickel safety in college, and he did the same in Mobile. He was, like, a slot guy. So tons of versatility with him again. I, I want to see a little bit more of the, the drop back in, you know, zone and really play deep half and, you know, take command of the back end of the field. I've seen a lot of him in the box, and I like what I see there, but I just want to see – more of the back-end stuff. But as far as that aspect of it goes, JT Woods, his teammate, he was the back-end guy. So I liked Woods, long, lengthy corner – or safety, excuse me, deep field guy. He had a game-sealing interception in the game. And I thought those two kind of stood out the most to me. Obviously, I didn't see the Lions practice, like I said, but the safety group wasn't all that great coming into Mobile, my opinion. I didn't get to watch the entirety of it, but you had Verone McKinley who, you know, kind of eh, from uh, Oregon. And then I think it was uh, Brian Cook from Cincinnati who opted out at the last minute. So they were very thin at the safety position, but definitely two Baylor guys that they definitely stood out to me. So long-winded and tons of notes, but got to see a lot. It was a lot, you know, a lot harder than I thought. I realize I need at least four pairs of eyeballs to watch everything that's going on at practice from, you know, front office and coach interactions and then all the singles and one-on-one drills that they were doing and all the, you know, groups that they were in. It's, 
you really got to be looking all over the field or you got to dedicate one day to doing this, one day to doing that, and one day to doing that. And that's what I was trying to do until the third day got canceled. So unfortunately I did the best that I could. I, you know, I, I really hope one day that more of us from Jet Nation could get down here, get multiple eyes on it, and then collab about what we saw at the end of practice. I think that would just be like a dream come true in a sense, because this was a, a once in a lifetime experience. Like, I can't, I don't want to sugarcoat it. it. The trip, the weather, I hate traveling. This was probably the, like one of the best trips of my entire life. I got to meet a ton of great people. I met, I met Connor Rogers and Will Parkinson right away as soon as I was walking in getting my credentials, so that was amazing. I met Matt Miller and his brother at a meetup. I met a couple guys that write for his site that we did a meetup at a bar, and you know, I was a little nervous. So to be honest, I had a couple of drinks for the first time in years, four years, maybe. So it was nice to just go out and network, you know, put a face to a name and have, a, a, you know, the same thing back where people could remember me moving forward. I got to see Ethan Greenberg and Matt Sickoff. Matt Sickoff is a, a producer and editor for the Jets site. He was the one that captured the mic'd up of, uh, Mike Rutenberg and Rob Sala when he said, hey, I'm mic'd up, and Sala turned and walked away. That was Matt Sickoff who recorded that, so it was great to meet him. And then the coolest thing, and it wasn't a formal introduction, but I have to say it, I was walking with my wife on the way to the meetup, and we're in downtown Mobile. I see a guy, he's on FaceTime, wearing a button-up shirt. I'm not really, you know, looking too hard at him, and I, I think, I'm like, there's a Jets party going on around the corner. Maybe this is somebody from the Jets. I look over at him. He sees my Jets hoodie. He's like, hey, how's it going, man? I was like, oh, hey, hey how, how are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? It was Rex Hogan. I could not believe it. I grabbed my wife as soon as he turned around. I was like, I was like babe, babe, that's our assistant general manager. Like, I was starstruck. It was great. He, you know, initiated it. He saw my hoodie, and he said something first. So it was just super cool, even though he was on the phone, that he just took that little second to say hi and, something I'll remember forever, but it was just so cool being down there. Obviously once in a lifetime opportunity that the jets were there as well. So got to see a ton of people draft and jets related. I couldn't recommend the experience more. I hope, you know, more jets fans go even when the jets aren't there so that we can meet up and, you know, make it a big thing because the jets love the draft jets fans. I think are starting to love the draft. We don't want to love the draft forever, but while we do love the draft, let's, let's make the best of it, you know? Oh, absolutely, uh, Dylan. And that was a, a fantastic breakdown. And uh, I, I share the same sentiment as when I had been in attendance to the training camps and, you know, people are tweeting you and they're asking you, what about this player? What about that player? You know, by the time that you actually find where they are in the field, um, you know, three or four other things happen that you want to make notes on and you, you have your head on a swivel the entire time and you just try to be a sponge and absorb as much as you can because um, there it is a lot to do and, you know, you have to tip your cap to those guys and those field reporters that are able to absorb so much and then, you know, come back to, to all the readers and listeners and, uh, viewers and and give them you know your your insight. So that's definitely not an easy job. Um, easier said than done for sure. But 
just really glad that you had uh, such a fantastic time while you were down there. And, uh, you know, I must say when I was watching that game and, and I think I had this written down here, where is it? Okay. So the national team that the Jets had coached this week had eight sacks and 12 tackles for a loss. So when you gave that inclination about the Jets might be looking at one of these guys from the defensive line, I'm going to say right now on February 8th that that's a guarantee that one of the defensive linemen Mm -hmm. from this senior bowl week will be either on the practice squad or be one of our, um, you know, numerous draft picks that we have uh, Mm -hmm. because we know how, you know, Robert Sala and and the defensive, you know, minds that we have in, in our uh, uh, front office, you know, love, those big gargantuan guys that can get after the quarterback. So that's going to be my guarantee um, very, very early on in the process. Um, I can't say who it's going to be, but, uh, yes, I was very, very intrigued. That was the one thing that, you know, I forgot to mention in my recap, um, that it wasn't, you know, the cleanest game in the world. But as far as seeing, you know, lots of pressure and um, watching these quarterbacks under duress, the the national side of the – this game almost seemed lopsided to what they were doing to the um oh yeah to the american side's uh offensive line and and there were some good players out there too um mm-hmm. you know and and i think it was dj uh that continued to talk about uh trevor penning and and his nasty uh you know bravado that he had and how oh, he yeah. was like fighting with everybody every day and you know that's just kind of his mentality and mm-hmm. i think um uh, i forgot who uh commentator had mentioned it uh doesn't matter but uh he was saying how the guy watches scary movies the night before to like get himself in the mind frame for for the game or whatever so um (laughs) yeah that's a little intense (laughs) you know if you're watching michael myers movies to get to get into the mind frame for for a football game rather have (laughs) that guy on my team than be playing against that guy i'll say that yeah Um, oh yeah but, uh, yeah, Dylan, that that was a really, really great breakdown that you gave us. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued to see, you know, if one, if not two players in our draft come from this week. Uh, you know, I saw a clip of uh, Leon Washington talking with Trey McBride, you know, telling him he was a heck of a football player. And, um, you know, you had mentioned Christian Watson. And I remember watching Trey Lance's film, uh you know, from 2019 when that was his last full season he had had in college and, um, or was it 2020, 2020, 2019 and 2020, but Watson was one of his top guys. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, what, what a specimen and, uh, with that speed and, and six being, I think he's six foot five or something crazy like that. So, you know, rare, rare size and speed and, and coming from a division, uh, is it division two, North Dakota? They are considered FCS, so they're, I think, a okay. group of five school. Okay. Well, you know, some people would have considered them a smaller school, but uh, it does seem, right. like, they, you know, as the years go by, small. they continue to have these top prospects that come through, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and stand out to NFL talent level. So, uh, you know, right now, if you, you want me to pencil in a favorite that, that comes away from this draft, you know, I would love to have one of those tight ends and, and a guy like Watson uh, would really, really be a lot of fun to have, um, 
you know, because the way that I look at this, when the Jets come up with their game plan, I think that they just need to figure out a way of how they want to improve this team. And I think that from a defensive standpoint, you know, build Robert Sala's team the best way that you can by acquiring uh, talent that you know what to expect from and then continue to build offensively for the future in Zach Wilson. Um, that's what I would really, really like to see this team do because I've seen the, this team go down the route of trying to win, you know, that that old saying, defense wins championships. Well, we continue to see the Jets kind of go toward the defensive manner as far as acquiring players and drafting and things like that. And, you know, if my memory serves me right, we haven't won any championships. So I'd kind of like to see this turn around within a year or two and have one of the top 10 offensive teams in the league and then mm-hmm. um, continue to build Salah's defense in the way that he sees it through his eyes. Uh, because, you know, we've seen, um, you know, teams like the Rams, we see teams like the 49ers, and, you know, we've seen other juggernaut teams that have all these great offensive weapons on their at their disposal, you know, Patrick Mahomes and all those guys that he has, you know, Kelsey and Hill and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and, you know, now they got that kid Pringle that's kind of like, you know, coming through, and they got McCole Hardman. I mean, you name it. They just got weapons all over the field, and that's kind of where mm-hmm. I kind of hope to, to be talking about the Jets, you know, within a year or two, you know, talking about Carter and Elijah Moore, and now we got Davis, and then, you know, they go into this draft, and, you know, they go heavy on one side of the ball and shore up the offensive line and get some more uh, weapons for Zach, and go out and play ball and see what happens. So um, this is where it all starts, as they say. The draft begins in Mobile. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just happy that you were able to get down there and, and give us all this insight. And um, I think, uh, you know, we're probably going to uh, call it a night for the show here, Dylan. Uh, we've got about an hour in on the clock now. But uh, there is one last thing that I want to mention before we go out. And um, I just want to give a big thank you to Tom Brady for finally retiring and, <laughs> and not torturing us fans. Um, 22 years we've had to deal with your awesomeness. Uh, what a heck of a career that he's had. Um, nobody knows, you know, uh, what Tom Brady's capable of better than the New York Jets having to face him so many times year in, year out, just kind of, marking those games on, on the schedule as losses because, you know, he's just one of those guys and he's always been one of those players that you, you, you hate to play against him, but you have to respect everything that he does. So um, kind of odd, you know, on a Jets podcast to be talking about Tom Brady, but we're also talking about a first ballot Hall of Fame guy um, and maybe the best quarterback that we've ever seen in our lives and, and in the history of this game. So, um, Dylan, I don't know if you have any thoughts or remarks on that or, you know, if you're, you know, flipping the bird, you know, um, behind the, uh, I, well, I guess we're not on camera here, but behind the phone lines. Um, but any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not flipping the bird. I think the way he went out was, was okay. Obviously I think he still had a few years left in the tank. Oh, I'm we, glad uh, he didn't. Did... You got me, you got me here. Can you hear me? Okay. Don't oh, know man. If you just lost Dylan there. 